1: Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Esperanza by Cleveland Latin jazz guitarist, Victor Samilot. Victor's our featured Ohio musical artist tonight, so stick around to the end of the podcast. We're going to tell you a little bit more about him, Let you hear the rest of that song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our researcher and storyteller, Paula Schleiss, an award-winning journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories with the Akron Beacon Journal.
2: Hi, everyone. Steve, I got a brand new type of mystery for you today.
1: What's left? We've covered everything from Bigfoot, UFOs, hidden treasures. I mean, missing corpses, for heaven's sake. What
2: else is left? (laughs) Well, how about this? There's a woman who lived in Ohio Stark County who may be on track to becoming a Catholic saint. Oh, really? Yeah, it's true. Her name was Rhoda Wise, and in 2016, the first step was taken in a process that could take years, even decades, to complete. The Diocese of Youngstown opened an investigation that resulted just last month into documents being officially handed off to Vatican officials in Washington, D.C. for transport to Rome.
1: So this is like a real investigation into...
2: Yes, this okay. is, as a matter of fact, she's already passed the first step. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Rhoda has a very fascinating story, and I'm going to get to that. But let me, since you brought it up, let me explain to you how someone becomes a Catholic saint. That way, when I tell you the story, you can at least see how we've reached the point of the Youngstown Diocese asking Rome to consider this case. So I apologize if I misinterpret any of this. It. Looks like the rules have changed over the years, but from what I could find online, there's a four-step process. First, the church has to determine if the candidate is a true servant of God. That's an official designation. To get this designation, the diocese opens an investigation at least five years after the candidate has died. They search the candidate's writings and public statements. They collect eyewitness accounts. It sounds like the body is even exhumed and examined. Rhoda has passed this stage. In 2016, Bishop George Murray of the Diocese of Youngstown declared Wise a servant of God. So this phase has been completed.
1: And that's the, that's the first phase to become a saint. You exactly. have to be declared by a bishop?
2: Uh, apparently, okay. because he did. So I'm going to assume that's, that's the person that that gets to. In level two, the candidate is then considered for venerable status. Now, Pope Francis himself would have to decide this. The church has to convince him that the servant of God has exercised to a heroic degree the virtues of faith, hope, charity, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. If he names Rhoda a venerable, the process would then move to phase three. Now, in phase three, a venerable may be deemed blessed and become part of the beatified. That means the church has officially decided the candidate has made it to heaven. There are two ways candidates can achieve blessed status. There is the martyr path. That's if the candidate gave his or her life voluntarily in witness to their faith or in an act of heroic charity for others. But if the candidate didn't die a martyr, then proof is required that the candidate performed a miracle. Well, technically, God performs the miracle, but because the candidate prayed for it. Almost always, these miracles are healings because those are the easiest to judge. You can document someone had, say, an incurable illness, and then after the candidate offers prayers for that person, physicians document that the illness is gone with no real scientific explanation. And then there's the final phase. If it is proven to the church's satisfaction that the candidate performed at least two miracles, sainthood could be bestowed. There are exceptions, but the rule of thumb is two miracles. Rhoda Wise did not die a martyr, so she's going to need at least two miracles attributed to her. So now let me tell you about Rhoda. Most of this story comes from the website rhodawise.com and from the autobiography of Mother Angelica, who was a Catholic nun who founded the cable television network known as EWTN. Steve, just flipping through channels. Have you ever noticed the channel EWT? I have. It's been around yeah. for decades. Yep. And Mother Angelica has this chubby cherub-faced...
1: I remember that, Yeah, yes.
2: and she's older. And she's got her little glasses. And you'll, once you see her, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I saw her as I was flipping through. So let me get back to Rhoda. Rhoda Wise was born Rhoda Greer in 1888 in Cadiz, Ohio. Steve, you know who else was born in Cadiz? Clark Gable. That's right. And? I, oh, there was another one yes. one, yes. I do
1: not remember.
2: George Armstrong, George Armstrong. Custer, okay, the right. Civil War officer who died fighting the Indians in uh, the Battle of Little Bighorn, also known as Custer's... Last Stand. Last Stand. Okay, he wasn't actually born next door, but he taught school in Cadiz before entering West Point. Anyway... Rhoda Wise was one of eight kids, and they were dirt poor. Her dad was a bricklayer, and she spent some of her youth growing up in West Virginia. She moved to Canton, Ohio, with her first husband, and he died of a cerebral hemorrhage while they were still newlyweds. A couple years later, she married George Wise. Rhoda and George stayed in Canton and adopted two daughters. One died as a baby. Rhoda's hard life continued. Her husband was an alcoholic who couldn't hold a job. The family moved multiple times, finally settling into a three-room white clapboard shotgun house at 2337 25th Street Northeast. It was basically a depression shack, a block from the Canton City dump. This house today is a shrine. And if Rhoda becomes a saint, no doubt it will be said 1932 is when her journey began. She was 44 years old then, a portly matron who was getting portlier by the day. As her belly swelled, she wondered if she might finally be pregnant. But a trip to the doctors revealed she was actually carrying a 39-pound ovarian cyst. Wow. Yeah, the the tumor was removed, but Rhoda suffered from other illnesses and multiple surgeries, so debilitating that she was suicidal and twice was committed briefly to a state mental hospital by her husband, diagnosed with a psychosis related to her poor health and those repeated hospital visits. Four years later, so we're in December of 1936, Rhoda was enjoying a rare period of relatively good health. When it all went
1: to hell again.
2: Can I say that?
1: I don't know. Okay. Armchair detective might not like that. Yeah, I don't
2: do. (laughs) She was walking down a street, returning home from a Christmas party, when she stepped onto an iron cover of a water drain. The cover was broken and it gave way, and Rhoda seriously injured her ankle in a way that just would not heal. You've had foot problems. You know how debilitating that can be. They tried a series of casts on her foot, but her foot bent in an unnatural way and she couldn't walk without pain. Two years later, they were still trying to figure out how to fix her foot. In 1938, they admitted her to Mercy Hospital in Canton to try yet again another cast. But Rhoda was about to learn she had another big problem. A nurse realized Rhoda had an abscess beneath that old incision on her stomach from that tumor years earlier. Even worse, the adhesions had formed on her bowel under the incision. She went through three different surgeries for these adhesions over the next year, but the wound from these operations refused to heal. On top of that, the bowel became perforated and, well, I don't want to get into details, but it was a pretty horrible turn of events. I mean, Rhoda was in the hospital for a long time. And during this time, a Catholic nun named Sister Lament had taught her how to say the rosary in a prayer known as the Novena, which is given to St. Teresa as a request for healing. Rhoda was a Protestant, but hey, she certainly wasn't above asking for help in any way possible. Even though her bowel wasn't healing the act of faith had moved Rhoda to convert to Catholicism. And on New Year's Day in 1939, while in her hospital bed, she took this step before Monsignor George Habig of St. Peter's Church. Several weeks after that, Rhoda's doctor informed her she had cancer and that there was no hope that her bowel affliction would improve. So she was discharged from the hospital, put on bed rest at home, and given a nurse to visit daily to change her dressings. Clearly, she was miserable. And it was while she lay awake in bed the night of May 28, 1939, that she said her dark room suddenly became bright. Wise claimed that she turned in bed to see the source of light and saw Jesus sitting on a chair beside her bed. She said she could see scars on his forehead from the thorn of crowns placed on his head during his crucifixion. He wore a gold garment that reflected every color. So Rhoda figured, this was it. Have you come for me? She asked him. No, he told her. Your time has not yet come. Jesus told her he would return in 31 days and then disappeared. Over the next month, Rhoda's suffering was as intense as ever, so much so that she prayed for death. And on June 28, at 2.45 in the morning, which was the same hour as his first visit, she said Jesus appeared again. The room lit up, and she saw him standing in the doorway, wearing white, and this time, St. Teresa was with him. She said St. Teresa approached her, Motioned for her to remove her blanket and the dressing from her wound, then placed her hand on Rhoda's abdomen. She then said, I am the little flower. You have been tried in the fire and not found wanting. Faith cures all things. Jesus told Rhoda he would come again, that there was work to be done, and the two images vanished. As they departed, Rhoda lost consciousness. She woke again at 5 a.m. and found that the wound on her stomach that had refused to heal for more than a year was closed. The painful rawness around the opening was gone. The ruptured bowel was entirely healed. But Jesus and St. Teresa weren't done. Her abdomen completely cured, physicians focused on her leg. They put a new cast on it that was so painful, Rhoda woke up in the night crying. It was August 25th now, and at 2.45 a.m., the same time as the other visits, the room filled with light, and this time St. Teresa appeared by her bed. She told Rhoda to stand and walk, and as Rhoda obeyed, the cast split open lengthwise and fell away. Rhoda, who hadn't walked without crutches for more than two and a half years, found her foot perfectly straight and pain-free. Now, this stuff was not going unnoticed. When Monsignor Habig heard about it, he launched his own little investigation and told church officials he believed the healings to be authentic and supernatural. And as word traveled of the miracles bestowed upon Rhoda, others came to her. There were weeks 350 people, from curiosity seekers to skeptics to pilgrims, would arrive at her home asking to touch her or hear her speak. There were other spectral visits, too. Rhoda said Jesus or St. Teresa had visited her 20 times in all. She recorded everything in a diary that she had started at the hospital. She recorded that on December 29, 1939, Jesus told her, you will win many souls through your devotion to the sacred heart and the little flower. And on April 3, 1940, he told her, cures more wonderful than your own will take place on this spot. Then he told her, I will not see you again for a long time. Much will be accomplished before I return again. 1942 was the first time Rhoda experienced the stigmata. Do you know what that is, Steve?
1: The, the wounds of Jesus? Yes. On your, okay. You got it. You that's
2: got right. it, yeah. And in Christianity, that's the phenomenon where somebody displays wounds in the same place that Christ had them upon his crucifixion. Rhoda's first stigmata happened on Good Friday that year, and the mystical wounds on her forehead, hands, or feet reappeared every Friday between the hours of noon and 3 p.m. for more than two years. Rhoda said her last visit from Jesus was June 28, 1948. He told her, Tell the people not nearly enough of them are saying the daily rosary. They must say the rosary, for the conversion of Russia. You know, that conversion of Russia has come up in other visions people have had over the centuries. So I I found that kind of interesting. During this visit, uh, she said Jesus showed her his sacred heart, or his bleeding heart. And Rhoda died 10 days later. More than 14,000 people visited during two days of calling hours. Service was held in St. Peter's Church in Canton, where Monsignor Habick gave the eulogy. I submit my poor judgment to that of the church, he said, but it is my personal conviction that what she stated about the many apparitions of Our Lady and the little flower is true, and that she was highly favored by the Lord. After Rhoda's death, her daughter Anna Mae kept her home open to visitors, and when Anna May died in 1995, the home was willed to Mother Angelica, which I said was the founder of the television network EWTN. Today, the property is owned by the nonprofit Rhoda Wise Shrine Inc. Now, why would Rhoda will her house to Mother Angelica? Well, turns out Mother Angelica may have been one of her miracles. She wasn't called Mother Angelica when it happened, of course. Back in 1943, when this happened, she was Rita Rizzo, which sounds to me like a character out of Greece. Rizzo. (laughs) She'd been a drum majorette at Canton McKinley High School, and now she was a 20-year-old young lady who worked at Timken and suffered from torturous stomach spasms. According to her own autobiography, she had been surviving on crackers, tea, and stale bread. Her mother, May Rizzo, had learned about Rhoda during a bus ride when she sat next to a woman named Catherine Barthel. Barthel was a housekeeper, and one of the houses she looked after was a ramshackled residence in northeast Canton whose owner was a remarkable woman. May Rizzo had never heard of Rhoda Wise, but in some circles the mystic was very well known. There were even news reports of people saying after visiting her, They were cured of cancer, air infections, mental disturbances, goiters. May talked to her daughter, Rita, and convinced her to pay Rhoda a visit. Rita didn't really want to, but it seemed to mean a lot to her mother. So on a night in January, the two women ignored a blizzard, called a taxi, and went to Wise's home. They were invited into the home and into Rhoda's bedroom, where Rhoda had her visions. There was a long altar along one wall, arrayed with statues of Jesus, Mother Mary, and St. Teresa. And in front of the altar was the wooden kitchen chair where Jesus purportedly sat when he visited with Rhoda. Rhoda invited Rita to sit in the chair, and she did. And before Rita left that night, Rita told her how to say the novena to St. Teresa and that she should recite it for nine days. Rita did so, and she was joined by her mom and her grandmother. And throughout those nine days, Rita's stomach spasms continued. But the night after the ninth day, Rita said she was lying in bed when she felt a sharp pain in her stomach. She reached for a corset that she always wore to help ease the pain from the attacks, but a voice commanded her to get up and walk without it. Rita said as soon as she started walking, she knew she was healed. She walked into the kitchen and asked her grandma to fix her a pork chop. Monsignor Habick, not surprisingly, investigated this. Rita's stomach was x-rayed and found to be in fine shape. When Habig inquired about it to Rita's physician, Dr. Wiley Scott, Scott said reportedly that his patient was a neurotic female open to suggestive influence and that it wasn't Rhoda's intervention that healed her, that it was the doctor's own alterations to the corset that he had made for Rita. In any event, Rita said she ate, put on weight, and the pain never returned. She went to Rhoda's house every Sunday, joining the crowd that packed the house to hear about Jesus, St. Teresa, and the miracles they were working. Some years later, Rita Rizzo, of course, became Mother Angelica, The broadcast cable TV network that she founded, uh, she hosted programs for them from 1981 until 2001. And she died in 2016. By the way, that's the year that the canonization process began for Rhoda Weiss.
1: Well, let's hear from our armchair detective on this one.
2: Well, tonight's armchair detective is Colette Jenkins out of Warren, Ohio. Hi, Colette. Hi, Paula. Hey, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: Well, uh, I spent uh, more than 25 years as a print journalist, most of those years as a staff writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, where I spent many years as religion writer And currently, I am serving as Director of Associates for the Dominican Sisters of Peace. And in that role, I provide leadership for more than 700 associates or what I describe as the non vowed members of the community. And we are spread out geographically, actually across the world. I get to claim that because we have one in New Zealand. The rest are in the contiguous states, um, except for a group that we have in Puerto Rico as well.
2: What a big change in careers for you. Yes, how very exciting. Well, I thought of you immediately when we did this story. I, you're not a sister, so we're not expecting you to have that expertise. But obviously, working with them day to day, uh, it, it seemed to me this might be a story that you could weigh in on. So I've got to ask you, have you ever heard of the story of Rhoda Weiss before?
0: I have. In fact, I Uh, actually worked on a story about the Shrine and visited the Shrine. I honestly can't remember even what year that was, but as religion writer at the Beacon Journal. Okay. I heard about it before that because I had, uh, I actually covered Stark County for a number of years with the Beacon. And so I'd heard about it uh, during those years, which was really like the early 90s but uh, never made that visit until sometime after that.
2: So tell me a little bit about what you remember about your visit. I I mean I have this picture in my head of this kind of very humble house that you know on the outside may look like a home but on the inside now is really devoted to you know a, a shrine like interior. I'm just guessing you tell me what you saw.
1: Okay.
0: I'm going to do my best in in trying to remember this, but, and you're correct. It looks, it it does look like a normal house on the outside. Uh, you know, very understated, really quaint inside. I do remember, I mean, I, I remember the chair. I remember there was a, there was some kind of vessel that contained holy water, uh, and it was near, I believe it was near that chair in Rhoda Wise's uh, bedroom. And I do recall that outside there was another smaller building. I remember candles uh, being there. I don't remember what they called the building, but I do remember candles. I do remember uh, that there were also small containers of holy water that came from that vessel inside the, the shrine. Uh, that And I believe they were asking for a nominal donation for those.
2: Now, if, if I remember correctly, you converted to Catholicism as an adult, correct? Correct. So when you were growing up, you probably didn't see Mother Angelica on TV, did you?
0: Well, yes, I had seen her. I did not watch her, uh, but I did. I had seen her, yes.
2: Flipping through the remote, seeing that exactly. little cherub faced yeah. lady on yeah. TV. I laughed when I found out her name was Rita Rizzo. Doesn't that sound like a character out of Greece?
0: Yes, that does sound. <laughs> It, it, it's a little stretch from Mother Angelica,
2: yes. Yes, I was really surprised to find out, you know, because I grew up Catholic, so, you know, we didn't watch her per se, we were not that, you know, devoted a family, but we came across her on TV all the time, and I just, I couldn't believe that her whole start was, came from Rhoda Weiss and her um, association with her. I've I've sent you the script of the story you you know the story of Rhoda Wise. Tell me just from a personal perspective does it seem credible to you? Does it move you at all? Are you a skeptic? Which which your what's your feeling about it?
0: Ah, well, that may be um I may have a little different take on this as you said, you know, I did not grow up Catholic. I grew up in the in one of the uh historically African-American Methodist traditions. Uh, And so for me, I guess when I look there, the one thing that I'm definitely in on is that, you know, there are no living saints uh, because I just think you can't be a saint living on earth. But uh, good point. But nevertheless, uh, it's interesting to me because I guess my view of a saint is sort of, it's, it's, it's like a holy person, Uh, who is believed to have some kind of special relationship sort of to the sacred. I, and so for me, you know, there's this other part of it, this moral perfection kind of thing. I, you know, I'm not, I I'm really not sure how we determine that, but nevertheless, because I am a person of faith, I've always been a person of faith. I believe that God can do anything. So that makes me say it's possible, okay. I know that we are relying on you know either that you know either having something from that particular person that we're looking to to recognize as a saint or or other kind of verification from other people about different things, and you know i I certainly have no reason to doubt that that these miracles could have been performed. Uh, so I guess that's sort of where I am, is that I'm saying, you know, I'm not a doubter. So, I mean, I do. I think it's possible.
2: After I wrote the script for this, I I found a list of American saints on the Internet, and there are only 13 of them. So clearly, this is a process that is... I think we have to trust to be very picky, very regimented, and uh, it seems to me take decades because the closest I could find to a person from Ohio in the sainthood process is something that's been going on for almost 50 years. Mm -hmm. So if Rhoda becomes a saint down the road, we probably won't be alive to see it, but you know, definitely, they are extremely picky about uh, who they who they anoint in that way. Do you have a feeling of how important the saints are these days? You know, when I was young, saints were very prominent, and then I think that kind of changed over the years. Do you have a sense whether the very devout in the Catholic religion still hold saints to, to a very reverential place in the church?
0: I do believe those who are very devout, uh, do hold uh, that importance for saints. And even those who I, we might not describe as devout and even some non Catholics. Uh, but I think it, there may be a difference in the way people look at it. And also I think there was some misunderstanding that, uh, like you were saying you know back when we were growing up and even though I wasn't in the catholic church I certainly had catholic friends and I would remember this these conversations about the saints and sometimes people felt like they were praying to the saints i i, I guess my understanding of that is a little bit different I, and maybe it's because of my Uh, Protestant upbringing I don't know but I guess I looked at it more as they were sort of intercessors for us as opposed to because I believe we can only pray to God I don't think we can pray to saints that's my personal belief I think we can that the saints may be intercessors that we could ask for their help if we truly believe that they're sitting in that position as a saint in heaven that they could maybe intercede for us as we pray to God. But that's just sort of my take on it.
2: Yeah, I I think the church would approve of that take. I know when I was young, we probably didn't make a distinction as to whether you were praying to a saint or asking for the saint to intercede on your behalf, You know, probably as a youngster, I probably just thought I was praying to the saints. Um, But certainly when I was older, I realized that the church frowned on that interpretation, that the prayers were going to God. But if you wanted some divine help in passing that message on, it was okay to um, choose very human people who had human experiences that rose to sainthood to say, you know, hey, you know what it was like. You were in my shoes. You know, help, help God understand this. You know, that kind of a feeling. Because sometimes it's just easier to speak to somebody who's shared your experience. And that's one thing that saints, one way saints can help us connect to God, which is hard to understand, you know, fully as a concept. Because we don't see God as somebody who was human,
0: exactly i think you you're right and i know that even you know because when we look at you know at at saints they're like these sort of divine beings and 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 i think a lot of times when we talk about i think that's why i thought it was important to mention you know, that I don't really believe that there can be saints on earth because, you know, I know that in some traditions, you know, they talk about people being saints. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that'd be kind of tough to do uh, when you're living on earth. But I guess when I look at saints, I kind of, um, I view them in a way that they are reminders uh, that the church is called to show the holiness of God. Because we are disciples of Christ, we, we show that holiness of God by living out our, our faith as, as disciples of Christ. And we're not going to be perfect in it because we are human.
2: Exactly. I, when I read this story, I also felt connected to it because, because Rhoda Wise's path to God came through St. Teresa. And my mom said the novena all the time. And she had all of these wonderful stories about how she would say the novena for something very particular. And then somebody would show up with roses for her, you know, like on the 10th day. And I remember in one case, there was a, a little girl that lived in our neighborhood. And she suffered from a really terrible skin issue that affected her you know, internally in, in, in a lot of ways. She, she died relatively young, but I remembered my mom saying a novena for her, and this little girl out of the blue knocked on my mom's door one day and handed her a rose that she had plucked from somebody's garden. She had never come over to visit my mother before, and just out of the blue, she just showed up with this rose and, and said, I wanted you to have this. And my mom just became a huge believer after that and, and said the novena to the very end.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I think probably a lot of people who pray to St. Teresa probably have those kinds of stories.
0: I think you're right. I, I do. I, I do believe that. That they, it's it's that connection. I think that those connecting points, and I think even in this case of Rhoda Wide, because you see, you know, she comes from really, really, humble beginnings and that she, you know, she wasn't this sort of rock star person. I think she serves as that reminder that, you know, we all have a role to play, that we can all do something good uh, to make the world a better place.
2: Well, whether you're Catholic or want to believe in saints or not, I think that's a message we can all agree on. So, well since I since I did that research after I wrote my script, let me share this with our listeners. So, um Rhoda Wise is at the level of servant of God. She's been approved as a servant of God. That's one of the steps on the way to becoming a saint. And I learned that there were a total of 3 servants of God with Ohio connections. There was a Blandina Sagalli who was born in Italy and died in Cincinnati and a Gwen Conacher, who was born in Chicago and died in Bloomingdale, Ohio. They, along with Rhoda, are the three uh, servants of God with Ohio connections. The next step up that um, people will be trying to get Rhoda to reach is the class of venerable. And there is one person from Ohio with that status, Celestina Botegó who was born in Glendale, Ohio. And then above the venerable status are the beatified. And there are um, there are actually only eight worldwide that are, that are at that point. One of them with an Ohio connection, and Mary Frances Shervier, who was born and died in Germany, but she founded a order of sisters who... Um, work to serve the poorest of the poor, and one of those orders was in America. And there is a miracle in Cincinnati from 1989 that is attributed to her. So that is the uh, highest connection to sainthood that that we have in Ohio. American saints. There are only 13 total saints, actual saints. Um, from America. So it would certainly be a very rare honor if Rhoda would make that. But thank you so much for joining us tonight, Colette. Really appreciate your insight on this and continued success with your career change. How many years has it been now?
0: Well, thank you. It has been, I am in my third year uh, with the Dominican Sisters of Peace.
2: Great. Well, well. I, I hope it continues to be everything you wanted it
1: to be.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you uh, inviting me to share with you.
1: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com.
2: And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist, Victor Samalot. This is our second time for him, Steve. Yes. He has been bringing his acoustic instrumental guitar to music lovers for a quarter of a century. Fantastic. Victor is also a prolific performer. You can find him all over the place. Check out his schedule on his website. That's Victor Samalot, just like it sounds Victor Samalot. Dot com. I'm there right now, and I can see he'll be at Vento La Tretoria in Cleveland. On November 14th, the Berea Depot and Restaurant on November 16th, and the IX Center on November 23rd. Not sure what's going on at the IX Center, but whatever's going on November 23rd, he's going to be there. Awesome. And be sure to follow him on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and look for him on his YouTube channel.
1: At the start of the podcast, we played a clip of his song, Esperanza. Here's the rest of that song. Enjoy, and we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.